BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Good evening, listeners, brave navigators of the enigmatic and the concealed. Have you ever felt the pull of the unanswered, the allure of the mysteries that shroud our existence? For more than a decade, a unique comic publisher has dared to dive into these mysteries, unafraid of the secrets they might uncover. This audacious entity is Paranoid American. Welcome to the mystifying universe of the Paranoid American podcast. Launched in the year 2012, Paranoid American has been on a mission to decipher the encrypted secrets of our world. From the unnerving enigma of MK Ultra mind control to the clandestine assemblies of secret societies. From the awe-inspiring frontiers of forbidden technology to the arcane patterns of occult symbols in our very own pop culture. They have committed to unveiling the concealed realities that lie just beneath the surface. Join us as we navigate these intricate landscapes, decoding the hidden scripts of our society and challenging the accepted perceptions of reality. Folks, I've got a big problem on my hands. There's a company called Paranoid American making all these funny memes and comics. Now, I'm a fair guy. I believe in free speech uh, as long as it doesn't cross the line. And if these AI-generated memes dare to make fun of me, they're crossing the line. This is your expedition into the realm of the extraordinary, the secret, the shrouded. Come with us as we sift through the world's grand mysteries, question the standardized narratives, and brave the cryptic labyrinth of the concealed truth. So strap yourselves in, broaden your horizons, and steel yourselves for a voyage into the enigmatic heart of the paranoid American podcast, where each story, every image, every revelation brings us one step closer to the elusive truth. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in again. This is another episode of the Paranoid American Podcast. And uh, I'm excited about this episode. One of the main reasons that I even do a podcast is really just to give me a chance to talk with people uh, in long format and just kind of like poke and prod and, and figure out their thoughts and their experiences. And I've got an incredibly unique guest today. And I want to give warm welcome to Penny Shepard from Awake Nation Podcast. Uh, so welcome aboard, Penny. Thank uh, you. Here we go. Uh, I'm doing great. I uh, hope you're having a great weekend. Uh, here you had some some crazy puppy <laughs> uh, experiences I, this I morning. Did. And as soon as I text, as soon as I got on this podcast, I texted my sister. And of course, she just now called me. So I left her message and said, sorry, I'm on podcast. I can't talk to you. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a very weird. Uh, but one of the weird things is that my name is Penny L.A. Shepard. But I found out at 58 that I was involved 
an MKUltra project, Project Genesis Subproject Eve, which is a cloning project. And I was also involved in time travel projects. So I have some issues with time travel. For instance, I always wear a watch. It has the day and the date on it. If my watch stops, people get upset because I'm like, oh my God, my watch stopped. And they know what that means. And weird things happen when my watch when my watch is stopped. So I have like two or three, these are cheap watches, really cheap, but I keep a battery in them. And if something happens, I put on another one immediately because I've lost a lot of time in my life. So you and I were talking before we came on air about an unusual thing. The Awake Nation is on Monday through Friday, um, 8.30, is 8 a.m. to 11. We just changed our hours. 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. to 12 Eastern time. Um, and so we just changed our entire format and we just garnered, um, a very valued, uh, uh, host is my pillow.com. Okay. So congrats. You know, that's, that's big. Right? That's huge. Mike Lindell. All right. So what happened to me was, uh, I started doing laundry and I decided to wash my pillows because uh, my partner, David Zubik reminded me because of what my pillow, we keep doing the commercials for my pillow. I'm like, you know what? I could use a MyPillow, but I said, my pillows are flat. I need to wash them. So I washed them and then I put them in the dryer. By the way, my name is S-H-E-P-A-R-D, <laughs> not Shep Hard. I am kind oh, of yeah. hard sometimes, but. <laughs> uh, no one else will see that. Okay. So, uh, well, my, my, actually my ex-husband spelled my name that way. So that's weird, right? Uh, <laughs> so anyway. Um, I put the pillows in the dryer and then I went out into the dryer and I emptied everything out and I only got one pillow back. And I was like, this is weird. I looked in the washer. There was no pillow in the washer. Uh, so I, I slept the night. I went into town. Um, I put my uh, blankets and my, um, my rugs in, in the dryer. There was nothing in the washer. I put the rugs in there. When I came back from town, that pillow was in the dryer. So it kind of freaked me out because this is how time portals work also, um, where something will appear, disappear, and appear. It's it's very strange. Now you could say, all right, Penny, you were just blind. You didn't see it. But I'm telling you, there was nothing in the washer. I put my hand in the washer. There was nothing in the washer. And there was nothing in the dryer. I put my hand in the dryer. It was empty. So what happened? How did that pillow just appear? And I've also had that happen with shoes where a shoe disappeared. And I, I, I buy the same shoes uh, from being on stage. You, you get used to wearing the same shoes. And so I had like five pairs of these same shoes that were Payless shoes. And when I was put in the crazy house because I was declared enemy of the state, um, one, I put this pair under my bed. Now I had like, I was, I was missing one shoe, not a red shoe. There were black patents. <laughs> I was missing <laughs> one shoe. Let's, cut, let's and then, cut that right off in the bud before anyone right. makes an assumption. <laughs> not one red shoe. Uh, and so, and I looked under my bed and I was missing one shoe. I put both shoes under the bed. So now I had the shoe that I was missing. I now had the opposite shoe. Now I have a pair where I had like, you know, four and a half. Now I have a pair four because the shoe that was taken 
was the opposite shoe that was under my bed. And I freaked out about that for a while because no one came in my room and said, I have to have these shoes. And if they did, because they were cross-dressing or whatever, they wouldn't walk away with one shoe. Okay. And there's no way they, I would have woken up. You know what I'm saying? Where do you think it goes? Like in, in that temporal moment and it disappears. Is it, is it in like another dimension? Is it just invisible? Like possibly it's in another dimension. Um, but this pillow came back. So I, I'm befuddled. And the reason why I'm befuddled is because so much uh, is going on in the world today. And I, when I found out that uh, I was MK Ultra, I started researching everything. And uh, I started researching my background. I, I'm an entertainer by trade, a singer. Um, and Tom Altos and I have much in common in this respect. Um, and so when I first found out I was MKUltra, I started researching. I started trying to find out why I had no memories. I literally did not have memories of like my my relationships. I mean, I, I know I was married, but I didn't remember anything that occurred in that marriage. So I, I literally got erased and they took all my pictures from me. So every time I left a relationship, the pictures were taken. So what I have, was it that you came across that, that made you realize that you were basically part of MK Ultra at some point? Well, I first started with a question about, uh, I found out from my first husband, Steve Zenos, that my agent, my former agent, John, who I had an affair with in the 90s, he told me he was my biological brother. So I was so upset at the time that I didn't really have a chance to actually ask him more questions because I was just pissed. So you just heard a litany of like swear words coming out of me because I was like, I couldn't believe that as they, he said, well, you didn't know. I said, but you did, didn't you? Everyone, was it true? Yes. Everyone knew. He told me because I, I, I started looking at my former agent and I saw that he had bomb gardeners in his family. Now, why is that significant? Because I asked my sister at one point in our life who had left when I was like uh, 10 or 12. And she went and lived with my grandmother in North Carolina. And my sister said, no, we don't have any bomb gardeners in the family. When my dad died, who I referred to as my fake dad, when he died, I looked and I was like, is that grandma? Because it says bomb gardener on her tombstone. And you said, we didn't have any bomb gardeners in the family. And she just like, oh, whatever. So then when I see that my agent has bomb gardeners in the family, I, I say, well, we're related through the bomb gardener name, but we're not, you know, blood related, but we're clan related through that bomb gardener name that Bowman's married the gardeners. And then they became the bomb gardeners, right? Hmm. They amalgamated the names and they, and the Bowmans are actually the men of the bow, and those are the Rothschilds. Okay, so B A U M A N B O E Bauer is a Bowman. Men of the bow are um, they're from the Rothschild lineage. So when I initially had said that, he's my uh, my former agent. Now that I know is my brother, responded, "Well, not all bomb gardeners are related." And I the hairs in the back of my neck stood up. That's when I know he's, you know, epically lying. And I said, well, no, we're not. They're not blood related, but they are all related. Then I said, I see you now, but I didn't really see then who he actually was. So then I started researching. That was the first, the first thing that started me researching was that connection. Um, then I found out more about who he represented. Uh, 
a lot of very uh, high-profile names were on his client list, like Madonna, Lady Gaga, Katy Perry, Jay-Z, Beyonce, Kanye West, Taylor Swift. Uh, you know, uh, Is this just a talent agent? Like, what kind of agent is this? Well, he's an agent, a manager, a producer, and a director. Okay, so he's been doing this for almost 50 years, and I, I never say what his last name is because he's been in a mess in the entertainment industry forever, plus uh, very, very high political ties that go to the White House. So when I started asking questions, um, that was the that was a problem. I became declared enemy of the state. My husband, I was married two times. My second husband looked like David Duchovny, which when I questioned him in the 90s, I didn't get an answer on that. I was like, why do you look like David Duchovny? Why does Gillian Anderson look like me? And no response. Now I'm heavier, you know, now, but still, Gillian Anderson looked a lot like me. And I was born August 11th, 1958. She was born August 9th, 1968. So she is a Leo. She was born in Illinois, but she was schooled in London. So, you know, hence she has more of a, a London, um, London upbringing and, uh, when when you're raised in London, it's it really is a different society. So you have different, um, not different mores, but like different inflections and different ways that you talk about things. I'm not sure if she actually has an accent or not, but she spent a lot of time in Chicago. Um, and I don't know if it, if she went back there after being educated in London. Anyway, the point of the matter was that he told me when I left him, my second husband Steve, uh, my second husband was Sam. Van Hooser, and he was a police officer, retired, a, a, a sergeant with Carlsbad PD, and his dad was a deputy sheriff uh, in Santee. He was also a historian for the Deputy Sheriff Society in San Diego and helped build the, um, the Old Town uh, Sheriff's Historical um, Museum. When you say Carlsbad, is this like Carlsbad Caverns area? No, this is Carlsbad. Um, <laughs> this is Carlsbad. San Diego. Now, here's an interesting thing. When I left my husband and I was made homeless, I got arrested, I got thrown in a crazy house, all the things he told me would happen. And then um, when I finally settled in Texas and I had to get my driver's license, I had to get my my um, birth certificates, etc. And um, I wanted to find out what his badge number was. So I called the Carlsbad uh, Police Department. I said, I want to talk to the chief of police. And they said, well, he's unavailable. And they, um, and then when I started saying some things, the lady was like, Oh, you shouldn't say stuff like you shouldn't say stuff like that. And I'm like, uh, well, I'm a truth teller. So I do, all I want is my husband's badge number. She says, well, we can't give that to you. I'm like, really? I was married to him for like, you know, 21 years and with him for five years before that. But, uh, as married, you know, and now a widow, I cannot get his badge number. She said, no. So when I went to go look for the name of it because now I want to talk to the chief of police. So I went to go look for the name of the chief of police. Now, Sam died uh, January 6, 2018. Three months later, there was a chief of police in Carlsbad, New Mexico, right? Which the surrounding area is Roswell. And his name was, <laughs> his name is Skinner. Okay. Wait, you see where I'm going with this? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I was so upset when I went to, to Google it, I was like, F me, uh, Skinner, 
And so I said, now I have to go to Achieve of Police because I thought that was Carlsbad, San Diego. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And he looked like Mitch Pelegi. <laughs> and I was like, so now I have to literally go to a police chief named, and I, I wrote an email. I said, I literally have to go to a police chief named Skinner. And she's like, we don't have a police chief named Skinner here. And I was like, oh, man. And then I looked back and it was the wrong Carlsbad. But if you draw a geo map, it's a straight line from Carlsbad, San Diego to Carlsbad, New Mexico. That's weird, right? That is weird. That I, I imagine that you probably notice a lot more coincidences than other people just because of your background. And, I, and I'm, I'm really, really curious. When you said that you got that inkling that you're part of MKUltra and you started doing research, where did that research start? Like what, like what would you, if someone else thought that they might have been part of the program and they wanted to research it, like where would you direct them to, to actually be able to figure it out? Well, the, the hardest thing is like finding out your lineage because now I know that the name, I, I knew when I was a child, the name that I had was not my actual name. I knew that it was not my name. I didn't like my last name either. How did you know that? Were you I told? just knew it. Innately, I knew it. I, I, you know, when I was in uh, third grade, I had my baptismal name and my middle name. And so I put periods between them. So hence Penny L.A. Shepherd. And I always go by, I always refer to myself. I've signed my name that, you know, forever. Uh, Shepherd is a, a second name, but I've always signed my name. Uh, and when I was singing at one point, I just went by Penny L.A. And so, uh, you know, th when I started researching, it started with my agent. And then my first husband tells me that's my brother. He dies of a heart attack three weeks later. But I still, I don't know who I am, right? He knows who John is, meaning that he's known John before he met me because he was sent to me by my first handler, who was Darrell, who I believe is Albert Spears, the legitimate son. That's Hitler's, uh, Hitler's architect um, and also a cultist. And so when I start looking at things, I start, I'm, I'm asking questions. Who am I? Right. And, and that is the question. And I also prayed and I asked God reveal myself to me. So that's, that's a great prayer to start with because in God's timing, he will reveal things in a slow manner in which your head does not explode because it's so much information. And so I, I started researching a lineage that people are like, I'm adopted, Penny. How, how will I know who I am? Right. So I started with the premise that with the bomb gardener name, that much I knew. I don't even know if she's my real grandmother. I don't know if, if, uh, you know, I just, I don't know the inception of my own birth. So I would say start with your name, even the name that was, that was given to you if you're adopted. Start with that because there, there are already are always reasons for everything you know there are no coincidences for instance um in the 1980s when with my first husband i lived in mission viejo and i got a, a white bird i had a lot of birds and i had a white bird and, and i named the bird snowden now later on i was like that's weird right that i named my bird snowden and i found out there's a movie called Falcon and the Snowman. And so Falcon and the Snowman is about, um, the snowman was a Coke dealer. I think Sean Penn played the snowman in Falcon and the Snowman. And they were, uh, they were spies. And uh, Falcon 
was a falconer and he also worked for TRW. So they sold uh, state secrets to various uh, embassies and then they were arrested and they were uh, sentenced to 40 years in jail. My husband uh, went to school in Palos Verdes. He went to Rolling Hills, but his parents taught at Palos Verdes High and there were counselors there and that's where Falcon and the Snowman were. So, oh, so that was based on a true story? Oh, yes, for sure. Oh, yes. wow. These guys got 40 years. And uh, one was really, I think they were both released a little bit early. And the second one, I think, had, it was very weird because he got released and he got, he went to Oregon. And that's where my brother David was. I think he was still a spy. I think he cut a deal. Um, you, you, you said a second ago that, um, like the information has to kind of come in its own time. Otherwise your, your head will basically just explode. Yeah. It's too uh, much information and it, it will literally give you a heart attack. I was, when I was homeless and I, I'd ask God to reveal myself to me and I'm a researcher. I've been a writer since I was a child. I wrote a children's book when I was in sixth grade, which was not published as well. Um, and so, you know, with that temperament, and I'm a truth teller, so people know I'm going to research it to its fruition until I can find some answers. And my brother David was a very good researcher, too. David wrote an unpublished book entitled The Whistleblower about Bush, the Vatican, and my family. And he came, he, he said that his family was orchestrated. There were government plants, which I firmly believe he was telling the absolute truth. And when he got divorced from his wife, he came to San Diego. He was told that he had to leave California. So he left California. He was told, never come back. You, we will kill you if you come back. And he came back to warn me. He lived at Mission Beach for two years with the homeless people. He had a truck. He was arrested over 50 times. My, my people were in, you know, in the San Diego policing community. So, you know, there's no way that they didn't know that he'd been arrested all these times. And I think that uh, they orchestrated, I believe his, his murder was actually an order that was carried out because he came to warn me. Is his book still available? No, it is not. Um, it was unpublished. The last copy of his screenplay was taken me, from me by an agent named Tony in Illinois who knew my first handler, Durrell. So he took my computer. He took my briefcase which, you know, I'm still pissed about the briefcase because I didn't have any funds and it was a brand new leather briefcase. So I'll be mad at that, that for, you know, I know it's trite. I know it's trite, but. Well, was, are there any copies of the book left? No. Nowhere? No, they're gone. As far as I know, unless his ex-wife has a copy, which she's not talking to anyone. Um, and. Uh, that book was put on the copyright office, but in order to get that book, I would have to sue the copyright office. I remember pieces of of the screenplay, which he sent me because he asked me how to write a screenplay because I'm a writer. He said, you're the writer in the family. How do I write a screenplay? I said, well, it's a little bit different than a book because in a book you can use descriptors, but in a screenplay, you can use those descriptors for scenes, which will be directives to uh, location production but your your whole uh, script is predicated upon dialogue and then you right. build your character so you know he wrote a screenplay i had the screenplay and the la and i had it in a safe so when i left my husband i took very few things with me i took like four boxes of clothes and uh you know and those four boxes of clothes got stolen too um and i w i pretty much walked with nothing 
I walked without, uh, I had my vehicle, which thank God, because at one point I, I had to live in that vehicle. And then I, because I'm a determined individual, I drove back to all the places that I lived before to try and regain the memories that I had, you know, that have been erased from me. Do you have any other special techniques for regaining memories that have been erased? Like, I, I assume that being in the places, that's like some sort of a trigger or like yes. an anchor, right? Are yep. there are there any things that you've found that also facilitate that? Oh, most assuredly. So even Kathy O'Brien says that uh, writing is pivotal. So, I mean, and as a writer, I just started writing because, you know, that's who I am. And there are things that I wrote that I have not uh, published. I have a blog. It's uh, Everything I do is free. Um, it's Shepard, S-H-E-P-A-R-D, the word entertainment, E-N, however, entertainment. <laughs> I'll so, spell it out and link it below. Just spell it out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> blogspot.com. And okay. then I Shepherd also have... entertainment.blogspot.com. Yes. And then I also have a, a web, which is shepherd-entertainment.com. But I haven't updated that in a, a very long time. So. I found out that I had certain talents when I started breaking MK Ultra, and I ended up 40 years later, I'm 65. So 40 years later, my first fiance boyfriend handler, who was my manager and my agent gets back in touch with me. He wants to see me. Right. And so I forgave him for all the crap that he did, but you know, he didn't change. He is who he is. And, but I did go back to see him. The reason why they wanted me there say they knew I was writing <laughs> and they wanted to know what I was writing other than the things that I was posting. So I started writing Bradford and Valentine because I said I was going to write my life story, but there was like, you know, I, I'm not that interesting. <laughs> right. And then later on, I found out I actually kind of am a little interesting. Um, and so. Well, more than just, but, a, I mean, you're being very humble right now, more than just a little. Uh, because yeah, some of the things that we were talking about leading up to this interview uh, was blowing my mind. So I'm, right. I'm excited to get into some of that. So uh, I was told when I left my husband that you will be arrested, you will be thrown in the crazy house. And, uh, and uh, my sister keeps calling. I told her I can't, I'm on air. <laughs> um, so I was told and all the things that my husband told me, he was a police officer, men in blue, right? They all stick together, fraternal order of police, in case people don't understand that that is a fraternal order. Um, and all those things happened to me. So I did get put in a crazy house. And it wasn't because I was acting out or doing anything weird. Um, I got electronically triggered by a picture that showed up on my phone. And I can't even tell you what it was. Just my phone shook. I looked and that was it. I was under angry altar. And that's the last time that that can happen because once you're aware then um, it changes their ability to hypnotize or MKOTU because now you're aware, you're acutely aware of, oh, hmm, that's a trigger, right? Or, oh, you know, and there are many different triggers. So there's colors. And these are also the way you can get your, your memories back. So colors, smells, olfactory, um, all, all of your senses, sight, music. Music will take you back to the moment that you heard that song first and, and I'm a singer. So I was singing a lot of the songs. Like I, I, I sang uh, boys from summer and that took me to a precise moment in Newport beach. Okay. Movies, a movie that you saw at one particular time 
will bring back a memory. Smells of, you know, of colognes, of foods. So um, when I, when Darrell had asked me to come back to see him, he was in Lake Havasu. I said to him, send me one of your, uh, your shirts, uh, you know, the colored shirts, blue colored shirt uh, with some polo on it. Cause that was one of the things that he wore. I was 17 when I met him. So when I got the shirt, I actually put it on and I wore it because I used to sleep in his shirts when I was 17. So that engendered that feeling of when I was 17, when I was, you know, very compliant, when I was uh, naive and when I was in love with this person, that was what led me to say, okay, I will come and see you because of that olfactory memory, the smell. It literally brought me back to when I was 17. And I knew I had to go back there to like retrieve some memories, but they wanted me there because I had started writing um, a television series. It started out as a book, but it became a television series called Bradford and Valentine. And I predicated some of the, the characters on real people, but I then realized that most of the things I was writing about were real people. And it kind of freaked me out. And then I started seeing uh, as I was breaking the MK ultra, I started seeing that I had a lot of other talents like uh, ciphering, which I deciphered a cipher. I was sent to a Panera bed when I was in Branson and I deciphered a cipher. And when I went in there, there was like three people there. It was really quiet, right? There was one guy sitting in the corner reading a paper. So it reminded me of a rendezvous that I had with John at a motel six where when I pulled up, there was a guy sitting at the pool. He picks up a paper. And then when I go up the stairs, I say, are you being followed? He says, why? I said, cause the guy, guy down by the pool, he's, he picked up a paper when I came in. He said, and I said, well, he's reading the paper upside down. I'm leaving. Okay. So uh, even then I was acutely aware and in tune, but yet not. I don't even know if that makes sense. Well, yeah, it, it seems like you knew something was amiss, but maybe you couldn't pinpoint the exact exactly. thing. Exactly. And when I first met John, he looked very familiar. And then, and then later on, when I saw him on the red carpet with a certain entertainer, I was like, oh, shit. He looks like my brother, David, that I grew up with because I didn't grow up with John. And I didn't know that uh, my first fiance even knew John. Although when I was out in Lake Havasu, he takes me back to California and his, uh, his garage, he has, uh, he was a race car driver and he, uh, builds uh, replicas as well. And he also has a Ferrari and a bunch of other, uh, he's got like six exotic cars. And so his garage was about like three blocks from John's office. And then just to rub it in, cause I didn't know they knew each other. Okay. Then he drives me to John's high school and says, oh, uh, you know, I don't even know why I'm here. So when I met him, I was 17. And I said, well, maybe you came to pick up another 17-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of smart, you know, smart mouth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so Darrell, uh, when I first met Darrell, and these were these are... These are inherent talents. And this is what happens to people. They are dismissive. They're dissuaded. People say you're just being dramatic. But in fact, you're right on because you do have these uh, innate psychic abilities. I, I want to say I'm not unusual, 
I want to say there's millions of people like me. So I, I don't, I don't necessarily stand apart. I believe we all have these abilities, but we've been lied to by the government saying, if you say that you can hear people telepathically, then you must be schizophrenic, right? Because telepathy doesn't actually exist. Well, that's a lie because they know it exists. And you also have extraterrestrial factions that communicate that you've been hearing for about for years. They communicate telepathically, for instance, the grays, small mouth or no mouth because they don't need it anymore. And they communicate telepathically. Also reptilians telepathically. So why if and and I believe we have some genetic uh, anomalies. We are actually uh, bred within some of these species that maybe would enhance those abilities. So I'm not unique. You know, I'm not here to stand and say, hey, look at me. You know, I'm not that unique. I believe that we all have these abilities. But when they tell you, oh, that's, you know, that's just crazy or whatever, they know, but they're being, um, they're dissuading you and they're, they're putting you in a state of denial. So when I met Darrell, when I was 17, I knew I was going to meet him. Now, how would I know I was going to meet him? I, I, I was not a person that sewed, but I actually got this material. Um, I think it was in Zares or it was at one of the stores in Florida and I, and I was working in it and I found this blue material and I ran my hand over it and I, I got a, a, like a bolt of the material and I cut out a top and a bottom a dress, and I, and I sewed it, hand sewed it. First um, time? Yes, I'd never done this before in my life. Hand sewed it. Uh, it took me a couple of days, and then um, I I bought a new pair of wedgie sandals, and I cut bangs in my hair. And then I, when I went to school, I was taken out to lunch by uh, one of my friends who was a uh, I would I would likely say he was a savant because he was um, at the school that I went to as a performing arts school, and I think they had a lot of MK Ultra Progress programs running in that school and he was uh conducting orchestras when he was like seven so he took me to a denny's he sat us in in front of a picture window at the picture window this car pulls up it looked like the great gatsby car it was baby blue i was wearing a baby blue dress okay um it said dreamy the license plate said dreamy Darrell got out and he was wearing a baby blue cotton leisure suit. So when he approached me, we looked like we were Ken and Barbie. <laughs> so how did that work? Because I knew, and I knew we, I was going to meet somebody. I said, I'm going to meet somebody today because I was involved in these programs. They erased me and they utilized me for psychic abilities, but then they, they would just be dismissive of you. They would erase you. You would be used in, maybe time travel programs and not remember any of it. You could, I could have gone my entire life and, and died never remembering, but it, and you're supposed to break MK ultra, like in your twenties or your thirties. So I was 58 and they knew that eventually I was going to come out of it. If I didn't have a handler constantly, you know, telling me how worthless I was or, uh, you know, that the, Oh, that's just silly you know when in how fact, much do you think you you remember now like percentage wise like 10 percent i'm remembering 80%. a lot more um and i believe that you know my journey is to continue this research until i am not on this planet anymore because you will always be getting memories 
um, unless you, you know, end up like uh, Bruce Willis and then his memory trail has ended. And I think Bruce Willis, uh, you know, I really like Bruce Willis. And I think that he was born in Germany. Okay. And I think he was definitely MK Ultra. He was part of a Germanic project. Um, he was born March 19th, 1955. Why do I know that date? Because that's my brother John's birthday. And he was born allegedly in Buffalo, New York. Now, when I researched the Hitler babies, I found out that they brought them uh, through New York. And they who had. Were, who were the Hitler babies? The Hitler babies were babies that were made for, uh, that were propagation for the Third Reich continuation, which would be the Fourth Reich. So uh, they had the wives and um, and and men uh, propagated the species in furtherance of that agenda. And they they traded uh, babies. So they would bring these babies into the United States and then they would give them birth certificates in New York. So I thought that was weird because my mom was also born in New York. And my aunt said, you know, she was, I said, when is my mom's actual birthday? She said, I don't know. She said she was very secretive about her past. She's a fake aunt. She's very secretive about her past. So I, you know, as far as I know, she, I think she had two birth certificates. Right. So a spy, basically. That, I mean, what, what I else would you need two birth actually, certificates for? I think she actually volunteered for MK Ultra because mm-hmm. when I get locked up in the crazy house and I'm finding out that I have Eichmann's and Mengele's and Hitler's in my family, oh my. And, and I'm behind a locked door and everyone's saying, Penny, why are you here? There's nothing wrong with you. And I said, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. And I, I showed some people pictures and they were like, shit. And they believe me and they quit. Over five people quit from that facility. And I'm still friends with one individual who's still working there, a very good friend. And he believed me too. He, he even, when he said, when I first went in, he said, oh, I think she's our new administrator. Right. He said, yeah, you know, you dress really well. I was like, seriously? Because I was, you know, just because you're homeless doesn't mean you have to dress like trash. You know, you can buy some nice stuff at Salvation Army. And um, and I taught that to my brother, David, because when my brother, David, was homeless, too, he he showered at the beach and he looked a lot younger than he was. And he, you know, he learned how you can dress, you know, on pennies, literally if my name's Penny, but you can dress on pennies and still, you know, look good. Um, and, you, you know, your presence is because I, I don't do drugs. I don't drink, um, but they did drug me for about 12 years that was my husband's mission was to slow kill me and what kind um, of drugs oh god like 50 different drugs um and they started when i had carpal tunnel that's how they got to me because i was a natural i was a person that did naturopathic uh remedies and then his family they were all about the drugs so his sister Hmm. totally on drugs mother totally on drugs the the rockefeller Um, medicine system right yes and uh, mother nurse, sister nurse, he was an EMT. He was also uh, retired on a medical and he was taking morphine. He was addicted to these. And he told me he wasn't on any drugs when I met him because I said, I don't want to be with anybody on drugs. And within you know, 12 years, I ended up um, being doctor shopped and then being put on freaking everything on the planet. 
and I lost my ability to speak, to think, and to walk. And at one point, I got off everything myself, which I could have died. I also went to a, a one doctor. Her name was Dr. Eisenhart. And I'd gotten off of many of the things that they put me on by myself. And she said, you know, the combination of things that you're on right now, they're very dangerous. I said, yes, I know. And, my, and it's my doctor who doctor shopped me and put me on all of these things. And I said, I'm getting off of them. And I'm, you know, I, I was actually afraid to tell him because I think that I thought that was his agenda to completely drug me. And at one point he said, oh, Penny, you're hallucinating. And I was like, really? And I went home and I found out that he gave me seven drugs, which caused hallucinations. Because the the methodology was to keep me under, and, and they do this to kill you, to keep me under so that I would never know who I actually was. Because I actually believe when I started asking questions, I said, why does John look like Joseph Mengele? Why does my murdered brother David look like Rolf, Joseph and Irene Mengele's son? And why do I look like Irene Shonbean Mengele? I mean, you, you bring up Mengele. So, I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with Fritz Springmeier's book. Yes, I am. Um, We've had him on our show. So, okay. So, so jumping right to it, he describes that Joseph Mengele might have been a Dr. Green and that a Dr. Ewan Cameron uh, from Canada was Dr. White. He's the one that was responsible for psychic driving, uh, lots of the electroshock therapy. Did you, do you remember going through any of those uh, types of ordeals? No, I don't. But then, then you wouldn't remember, would you? Right. I mean, that was the point was, was they were inducing amnesia and everything else. Yes. I started studying Dr. Uh, Ewan Cameron uh, when I was locked up and I actually went to one of the, the psychiatrists that was there and I said, what have they diagnosed? What did the CIA diagnose me with? That's what I said. And he said, they said that you're schizo effective. I said, okay, so explain that to me. Like um, a functional and, drunk. <laughs> right. And he says, well, the schizo part, cause I, they diagnosed my brother as schizophrenic. He was not. And I know exactly why they did that because it was an MK ultra doctor. So I said, um, so what's the schizo thing? He said, well, basically you're delusional. I said, well, and his name was John. John, you've known me now for about six months. Have I ever impressed you that I'm delusional? He said, no, Benny. You're the most grounded person I've ever met in my life. That's interesting, right? And then I said, and what's the effective part? Now, he's, he described the effective. It's actually like kind of a bipolar thing. But he explained it that he said, well, you're just over-emotional. So I looked at him and I was pissed. And I said, that'd be just effing great. John, if I wasn't an empath, <laughs> because I shake people's hands and I literally feel their pain because I can talk to somebody on the phone and start weeping. You can watch a show and you can, and we had a, uh, an Israeli singer on the show uh, the other day. She's in Tel Aviv, her children are in a safe room. And I felt her and I almost started weeping on the show. That's who I am because I'm, I am an empath and I do feel people's pain. Um, and I also feel if people are evil, I can literally feel it on messenger, <laughs> you know, on Facebook. What does Mess- it feel like? like do, do you get like a specific feeling always, or is it slightly different depending on like what type of evil? My tell is usually I start weeping. There's two different weeps, a weep because I feel their, the, their heart I'm connecting with a person's pain in their heart, and then another weeping because it's just abject evil. It's a black evil. And that was kind of my tell in some of the churches that I went to. 
because I wept in two churches and they fell. So apparently I shouldn't be crying in your church because it's bad news for you. If if you feel the latter of those, right, the abject evil, is that a person that's in there or are you basically um, like interpret that as an entity? Um, I don't know, because in some instances it is a person, but in other instances it is an entity in the person. So it depends on each individual. You know, I, I've shaken people's hands and said, oh, your family knew Hitler personally. Wow, that would be a, and, that's quite the icebreaker, and, by the and, way. And, you know, and I could feel what I could and I proved it. So one individual, I said, wow, your family knew Hitler personally. And um, and then within. 20 minutes, I found out, because I, I knew his father's name, I found out that his father uh, had high secret clearances. I found out where his patents were. And then I found there was an individual who was a Nazi, a high-ranking Nazi, that helped create the Cylon gas that looked exactly like this person. Same name. Is When, when it looks exactly with the same name, are, are you assuming that it's the same person it's a doppelganger it's like no you know, not necessarily but definitely within the lineage and the, the and doppelgangers exist too because i found a clone of john on the x-files on, <laughs> on season 11 episode 4 lost order sword forehead sweat which is about time travel it's about uh the mandela effect only they're saying the Mengele effect, and they're saying essentially that Joseph Mengele um, was the one that created a bunch of different time divergencies because he traveled through time and he created, it wasn't the Mandela effect, it was the Mengele effect. Wow, that's wild. Have, you should watch that one. And there's a clone of John in there. I saw the clone and I was like, oh my God, I know it's John because I slept with him. That That show in particular is definitely one of my entry points into just all things uh, sort of weird and paranormal. So are there any particular episodes that were based on things that, that you know for sure are real? I believe that they were all based on real stories, but there are people that have written for the X-Files that I've talked to that said, well, not all of them were real, but I'm like, dude, you don't even know. You don't even know. <laughs> you don't even know who was in your writing room because uh, I know that Chris had to, uh, had to get some CIA help in there. We had Terry, uh, Tracy Torme on the show. He's the son of Mel Torme. And he's also a screenwriter. And um, he's a little under the weather right now. We're hoping that, you know, he gets better and he comes back. Um, but Tracy uh, did Sliders. And, uh, oh, wow. That's one of right? my favorite shows of all time. By yeah, far. and I totally love Tracy and his wife. I mean, they're just amazing, amazing people. And he's also, uh, he did Fire in the Sky. So he he researched oh, that. Wow. And went out also, one there. of my favorite that right. that man that movie in particular. Whenever someone describes like alien abduction, even if it's you know Hollywooded up, that scene it where he's in like the membrane and he has to break through. That I mean, that is my go-to uh, like reference when someone says alien abduction. Yeah, I said, uh, yeah, Tracy, I remember that movie like vividly because I I said I will never forget that one scene where he's getting tortured. Because I believe I was abducted as well. And, you know, are these abductions, are they all legit aliens or are they our military parading as aliens because they've used hypnosis on you when you were a baby? So there's code words that they can use and erase you so that you're not going to remember because the art of hypnosis is 
you will, you're feeling sleepy. You're feeling sleepy. Oh, now you're asleep. And when you're awake, you will be refreshed and you won't remember anything. Right. So if they give you a code word when you're a baby, all they need to do is say that code word and you're out. So like when I said I ended up in the crazy house and I saw a figure, I saw something appear on my phone. And then I became compliant. My sister-in-law said that I could go over to my uh, nieces. And I said, really? Because my brother said I couldn't, but now I can. And they're like, yes. So then I drive over there and now I'm like full on MK Ultra. Now, you don't necessarily, they don't even give you orders. They give you suggestions. Wouldn't you like to do this? And that's part of neuro-linguistic programming. When they say something very simplistic and, and my first husband, Steve Zenos, had his MA in psychology and he ran his parents' psychological practice. And they were in business for 38 years in the entertainment industry as well because his father was a prolific musician, a jazz musician. He played sax. And uh, I believe that Jolie West was one of their mentors because Jolie West was at UCLA for uh, since 69 to 89. I think he died some in the 90s. And, uh, you know, they were up in Palos Verdes. So I believe firmly, I think I might have even had dinner with Jolie West and not even known who he was. Well, he seems to be the the unsung linchpin in so many of these stories. Uh, like whenever his name comes up, you know that there's going to be a wild story uh, to follow. Whenever he's the one that that basically gave an elephant LSD and barbiturates until it died. Uh, he you know that alone. I mean, I'm sorry, but that's like high treason to me to kill an an elephant, a beautiful elephant, in such a horrific manner. You know, and, you and no there's soul. rumors that he was also on LSD at the time when he was doing it um, just to to put because he was there's a quote that I'm just going to paraphrase. But he said that he wanted to become the master in bringing people to the, the brink of insanity and then yeah, kind of so. like peeking over the edge, but not falling over. But it seemed like he was always in the vicinity. I think there was another rumor that he interviewed uh, McVeigh. There's documents that he interviewed. Yeah. Um, Jack Ruby after the JFK yes, assassination went, went a little bit crazy. He also interviewed Sirhan Sirhan. He also could implant memories in people. So he one of the, made somebody think that they were guilty when they weren't. One of the wildest quotes that I remember reading from him, and this was a, a public quote. So it, it, you know, chances are it was only a tiny bit true if, if at all, but he said that the strongest weapon that he had for mind control was essentially sleep deprivation. That sleep deprivation yeah. trumped any drug or torture or anything else you could think of that if you could just deprive someone of sleep for a few days to a week, you basically just had full control over them. Yeah, that's what my mother practiced as well. And she also practiced hypnosis and she also read from the Book of the Dead. And uh, I believe she actually was in, she was gay. I found out she was gay when I was like 17. Um, and I think she was in, there was a gay woman's club that worked under Aquino, kind of like the sisters of the traveling pants. Yeah, but we're, we're talking Michael Aquino temple of set, right? Yes. Yes. And, uh, they were like, I'd have to look at, look up the name of this group, but it was gay women that were witches that worked on with Michael Aquino. And I, I think I might've met him too, because I remember my mom telling me, um, introducing me to this individual. It was either him or, uh, LaVey. Anton LaVey, it might've been Anton because she said, this is Tony. Right. Mm. And, you know, later on, I'm like, who would have even known? I mean, 
forgot for Kimmy's sake, he could have showed up at one of my gigs. I said, you know, I think he played key. He might have showed up and played keyboards at one of my gigs. And yeah, then he did. That, he played piano. Yeah. And then I looked and I was like, oh, she, I, you know, he's a <laughs> piano player. He could have showed up at any of my gigs. <laughs> there, there's so many Let's different. Sit in. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of different um, places that I want to, I want to bring this up uh, for, I even forget this. Because we were talking about X-Files and like a lot of the paranormal theories that were coming out in the 90s. Do you remember John Teeter, who was supposed yes. to be? What, what was, what's your th- uh, thoughts on him now okay, after so, you know, 30 years of past? Everything, right? And uh, when I was in the crazy house, I had a lot of time on my hands. Mm-hmm. So I'd get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and I'd work until 12 o'clock at night and I'd do it all over again. And I had a computer and my phone. So, you know, I was literally talking to everybody. So you had a computer while you were in there? Yes, I did. Okay. <laughs> it just it sounds like he just had plenty of time to just like uh, harness yeah. more and more information. Like, was and and my brother you. helped my my brother actually helped pay for uh, some of my like the Netflix and stuff like that because I said I I actually I need that for research and he was like yes you do right Ooh. my evil brother my other evil brother I got a lot of evil brothers but so and that's how I found out. There was a girl in there that cleaned the toilets. I will be forever grateful to her. Everybody is important. Nobody is above another person. Okay. Um, you treat everybody with respect and love because every single person on this planet is important, including the evil ones. Cause you got to know that they're evil. Cause they're going to, they're going to F with you. Okay. So um, she said, you should watch stranger things. And I was like, really? You know, I'm in this locked up place. There's nothing wrong with me. And I just found out that my family are Hitler's, Eichmann's, Mengele's, and Spears. I'm not all that happy. They're CIA, they're deep state, and they're in the, they're actually in the administration in the presidency. So, you know, I'm not too excited about that, but I watched it. And when I watched it, I wept because I was like, that little girl is me. And I, I was so sure that it was me that I texted, I sent an email to Darrell and I said, I know that little girl is me. And I told my brother, Rob, I know that little girl is me. And I don't know how they're doing that, but I know that little girl is me. I was born August 11th, 1958. Penny L, uh, it, that was my, my first name, Penny and the middle initial L. And Penny also means um, it's short for Penelope. The AK for, A for Penelope is L E L L E, and my middle initial also L. Born August eleventh, nineteen fifty eight. I was born in uh, Hollywood Memorial Hospital in Hollywood, Florida. I lived in Ives Estates of ninety five in Florida, um, and I went to Mady Ives Elementary. The little girl's name is Jane Ives, as in Jane Doe from Ives. Now I I'm going to I'm going to actually tell you I don't believe that the Duffer brothers who wrote this have any clue as to the fact that they actually wrote about a real person. And I was finding that when I was writing that I was writing about real people and it was freaking me out. So I don't think they know. They just they think we disparately picked up these these references, right? They were also born in Durham, North Carolina, and I believe that's where my mother volunteered for MK Ultra. Because she was a nurse in North Carolina. I don't know if she went to Duke University or not, but Duke University was in my heart as like that I've been there. But sometimes you haven't actually been there, but 
maybe your mother's been there and you've got some genetic memory about that. Um, I don't believe now I, I initially believed I was at Montauk, but I think my mom might've been there because my mom was born in Jamaica, New York and she painted lighthouses. And I also think that I might've actually been there like in a time travel chair in Florida. I don't recall, you know, driving there or, you know, having my parents drive me there or anything. I don't have a lot of memories from when I was young at all. And the when you say that the time travel chair, that makes me think of the what they call the Montauk chair. Right. And I think this was documented and written by Preston Nichols and Peter Moon. And they had right. a whole series of the I don't the actually Montauk. like Peter Moon and uh, Preston's dead, but I think Preston actually might have been a perpetrator. That's my feeling because when I talked to Pete Moon, I said, I'm the actual 11 uh, depicted in Stranger Things. And he's like, well, you have to prove that. I said, I don't have to prove a effing thing, Pete. I said, I'm just going to write about the 3,000, you know, threads that all point to me. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm interested more in your dynamic with Peter Moon. His name means stranger. I was Mrs. Stranger. I had a band named Stranger. Do you think that this was intentional? Like it was, yeah. it was so what is it just there? They've tapped into whatever that frequency something, is where the information's at something because uh, they were going to, when they went to college, they were going to go to the university of Florida. I'm from Florida, but then they changed their mind. They went to Chapman college, which is 15 minutes from John's. I refer to it as his CIA office that I found that very interesting. Additionally, I was pregnant in May of 1983. And I was told if I did not have an abortion by my boyfriend who became my husband, that his parents would frame me, plant drugs on me, throw me in prison for 25 years and take the twin boys that I had and raise them. And I would never see them. The Duffer brothers were born nine months later in February of 1984. Are they in twins? Durham, North Carolina. Yes, they are. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. So, so, so how much are of they the, the sh- are they genetically linked to me somehow? Were they implanted in vitro fertilization? I don't know anything about the parents. I don't know anything about their actual story. Um, I don't. I've never met them, but I've come to the conclusion that they ha- they don't have a clue that the individual that they wrote about actually exists. I mean, there were parallels also in other characters like Max. Uh, Max is a little girl. My my best friend, who I call my sister, her name's Susie. She's called me twice <laughs> since we've been on this podcast. And um, so Max's mother, Susan, marries Sam and moves to San Diego. I married Sam and moved to San Diego. They end up living in Mission Valley. Do you know how big San Diego is? It's like L.A., right? You can live in a million places in L.A., the L.A. area. San Diego is huge. I lived, I was Mrs. Mission Valley. I lived in Grantville right by Mission Valley. And then her brother hangs out at Sunset Cliffs. My brother was murdered on Mission Beach about eight minutes from Sunset Cliffs. So I... I wrote to the writer and I'm like, how are you doing this? 
And the writer has written with the Duffer brothers, but of course she never wrote me back. She's a young, a young writer. She must've thought, well, this person's psychotic, but I I'm trying to piece it together. I'm like, how do they know this stuff? 11 ends up being given to a sheriff. I was in a sheriff's family. I was literally like given to this person that was supposed to, uh, supposed to slow kill me. Are there any, are there any like episodes or particular plot lines that jogged extra memories for you where you were like, Oh wow. That like, now I remember this thing that I went through because of the show. The fact that they shaved her head and the fact that they put her in this dress that I had when I was three years old, there was a picture that my brother Rob has of that dress. It had, I was three and I had cap sleeves. She had long sleeves, but I had that exact same dress. What is that about? My mom shaved my head until I was like in seventh grade. What about they the ego waffles? Well, here's what the ego waffles are. The ego waffles are let go of my ego. She goes into the freezer to get her ovum. My egos let go of my eggs because they've taken her eggs and they've frozen them and they've used them to create genetic hybrids and anomalies. Wow. Wait, this is another thing that I remember from Fritz Springmeier's book is that he mentioned like the moon child ritual and, um, and these genetic lines where when someone has some kind of psychic ability that they try to nurture that and they try to to get that person to breed with other people that have psychic abilities. And then at a certain point, you're just kind of pumping out babies that have this predisposed, um, you know, like skill sets. And again, another phrase from the late 90s, early 2000s was indigo children. I don't know if you remember that yes, phrase. Yes. The indigo I, children were actually, um, I think that that was one of the, the groups that... Um, that Marjorie Cameron uh, Parsons, who was married to Jack Parsons, started right. in um, Palm Desert. And, uh, you know, she's a Luciferian. And uh, I know that there are certain people that said Jack Parsons wasn't a bad person. And I'm, or they also said that L. Ron Hubbard wasn't a bad person. He was kind of a genius. And I'm like, no, he was a, a real, he was, that wasn't propaganda. The guy was literally, you know, crazy. Uh, he started out as a fiction writer and he and uh, Jack Parsons tried to bring in the Antichrist. This wasn't, you know, it's not a joke. It's commonly known, um, you know, and uh, he tortured his wife, who actually was the lover of Jack Parsons, which I think it was his wife's sister. And then he left with her and had a child with her and then told her, uh, wanted her to go through auditing to prove that she was crazy. Because he and then he also told her he took their child and cut her up in little pieces and threw her into the sea. And the man was like full on, full on evil and crazy. Yeah, we're talking about the Babylon working stuff. That's all. It's uh, it's basically a religious faction that serves Satan. So I I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in God, but I believe that the religions are uh, they're all propagandist and they're empty. Ultra constructs to tell you a little piece of the truth and to actually separate you from God. Some people refer to it as source, but separate you from that knowledge and that love, which will guide you and save you 
because, you know, in the Catholic religion, they're like, hey, you need to talk to this priest, you know, while the priests are molesting you and uh, telling you, Jesus made me do it, you know, and then say, no, you were too sexy for your, you know, for your pants. And that's why I went after you. I mean, you know, we have a gentleman on, on the show. His name's Chris O'Leary. He's on every other Friday. And he was raped by Father Valentine, who was a roommate of now Cardinal uh, Dolan, who is actually, according to Chris, running for Pope. Was Valentine the one that had the movies made about him in the 90s, too? Yes. Chris found out about it uh, because of Spotlight. That's how he found out. And he was erased in MK Ultra because MK Ultra, and, you know, I I went to go on this one guy's uh, show and he said, well, you, you don't talk about being multiple personality disorder or, uh, you know, um, or disassociative identity. I said, well, I, I did disassociate a great deal, but they use me in the entertainment industry. In the entertainment industry, they teach you to assume other characters. So you're literally doing the study and character, but you need to come back to, you know, who you, who you actually, your root person is. So, you know, some actors have actually gotten lost in those characters and have ended up committing suicide because of their, because the parts that they were in were so uh, corrosive and overwhelming that it, it overtook them. So that's, you know, that's a significant, um, I think departure for me, which makes me, uh, which made it easier for me to, when I finally came out within two months, I realized that there was 11 and agent X. Those were the two, names that they used under MK Ultra, which they used drugs. And then they also used neuro-linguistic programming because my husband, Steve, was adept at neuro-linguistic programming, as were his parents. That's one of the one of the tools that they use. So uh, you would say, and I use this example all the time, you'd say, um, you don't want milk, do you? And you're right. like, what? And say, yeah, you want milk, right? And you're like, what? Because now you've been confused with uh, with a gesture, and uh, you know. Then let's add some components in the military industrial entertainment complex: uh, lighting, fog, colors. You don't have smell o vision yet. Uh, hand signals, words, strings of words, music, frequency of music. You add all of those for a very uh, compact MK Ultra experience which can overtake you, hypnotize. Remember the out, Outer Limits? In oh, Twilight yeah. Zone? Okay. You know, we have now taken over your television set, you know? Yeah, don't, well, don't bother adjusting the dial, yeah. Right. Well, we've now taken over your mind. And now with Elon Musk Neuralink, we want to connect you to the internet highway. So you don't even have to worry about uh, calling anybody on your phone. You don't have to worry about losing your phone or having your phone hijacked. But, you know, if you don't pay your bill, are they going to fry your head? <laughs> Right, or do you have to put your thoughts on mute? Like, if you don't want anyone else to know you what you're thinking, is there like a all mute they button? have to do is say, "Let's listen to Penny today." Uh, <laughs> dial in L A L A Shepherd at nine 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 and see what she's thinking about right now. Or they you say business plan. Wait, or they say, um, "Let's go to this psychopath." And tell them it's time to kill, 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 kill. And then they go out and they shoot up a school. Or they, uh, you know, go out and slaughter a village. 
You know, they've been using targeted weaponry in uh, in the military for quite some time. And they use the voice to skull as well um, in the capacity that it can be on the airway. So then they say to the troops, this is the voice of Allah. Put down your arms. You were talking about the voice to skull, also known as V2K technology. And that's where they can, the, the best analogy that I, I can usually give is, they have these new sound bars out. You go to Walmart or you go to, you know, wherever you best buy. And what they do is they don't actually play audio through the speaker. They play a sonic kind of like a, like a beam. And once that beam hits a wall or it hits your couch or it hits the ceiling, then it makes the sound. So that's kind of what I've understood that the, the voice to skull technology is, is that it's the silent beam that if you have a line of sight and then as soon as it hits something, it can make the noise. So if it hits the top of your head, or if they hit like your jawbone, then it's resonating. Like your skull is the one that's producing the audio, but it sounds like it's coming from inside your head. It's fa- yeah, fascinating concepts. We have an individual that's on our show. Her name is uh, Amy Holm. No one to hold them. No one to fold them. Um, Amy <laughs> Holm is Amy's audios. So if you have, if you feel that you've been attacked by direct energy weapons, by acoustic energy weapons, she was an MP in the military. So, you know, she's not just some Joe Schmo. She does extensive uh, forensic auditing um, through a whole schematics of, of uh, you know, myriad of things that she does. And, um, you know, go to her website. If you think you've been attacked, she might be able to help you. She actually proves in court in a court of law. And she said when Hawaii happened, she showed us some of her uh, reports about something different. and. Um, she said that the former chief of police in Maui had contacted her and when she wanted to use her um, her methodologies uh, for tracking down sex trafficked children. Now, years ago, they'd have to put an implant in you, like in your skull or somewhere in the back of your nape of your neck, behind your ear. But I, I don't believe they even have to do that anymore. They can just target you uh, from cell tower to cell tower. Um, uh, from a satellite in the sky. Um, and, you know, Elon Musk is putting up thousands of satellites in the sky. And then he wants to hook everyone up to Neuralink into a hive mind and put you on the web. So eventually what will happen is you're going to have an integration of uh, human and uh, Android AI robotics and uh, infiltrating within, residing in your head so where uh, <laughs> people will hear voices in their head that are saying things like you're worthless and, you know, 24 seven, they can't get those thoughts out of their head and they're not their thoughts. Um, they're targeted. I've had uh, a bunch of people on the show that are, you know, 24 seven being targeted by the direct energy weapons. And they are real. The, the military is utilizing uh, sound weapons. Look at Waco. That was just a preliminary in which they utilized uh, sound to overcome and to keep people awake, right? Because you want to make sure that they turn psychotic if they don't have enough sleep. Right, um, that, that Jolie West uh, findings. And and I think in, in Waco, they played like dolphin noises and rock music, but then there was also recordings of rabbits being slaughtered. And that probably does something deep down into your, your mind if you just hear that constantly. 
uh, yeah. animals being tortured. Can you imagine being on the on the FBI team listening to that crap? I mean, I'm you know, I'm not I'm not saying that the people that they played it at, like the actual victims that were murdered, that that wasn't bad enough. But now you're on the force, so it, maybe you're not even apprised of MK Ultra. Are you going to have flashbacks for the rest of your life about those noises? Because now those noises become a resonant frequency in your head and they play back because uh, if you have uh, a photographic memory, which many, many people do, um, that will that will be resonant. That's resonant now, literally like in your DNA. That's what that's. That gets a little bit scary. And the, the Waco one is crazy because that was one of the first times they did it in the public. Like they were doing this on camera during live streams. And it, and it almost feels like either nobody knows what we're doing, so it's fine, or nobody can stop us from what we're doing, so it's fine. But either way, it was fine. They all got away with it and did it again and again. So yeah, that I, was I my, like Michael Aquino's uh, and the Phoenix Project. That was their uh, it was actually the Phoenix Project, I believe, was the, the precept for the CIA uh, in which that's what they utilize today in, in forms of torture, their manual for deception. I don't want to gloss over this because I find this incredibly fascinating that the character Eleven from Stranger Things uh, could very likely be based on you. The All the powers that they ascribe to her, so she can do astral projection and see where like military people are. Um, almost pinpoint them. A she lot of people has, can do that. I can do it, but a lot of people can do that. Telekinesis, where like she can throw people across the room or like like hurt them by just thinking about it. How real are are those sort of techniques? Those are they're real. Is that I, like, I what, haven't I haven't you know thrown anybody across the room, but I do remember when I told my handler when I was in uh, in Illinois, he was late, and I find you know. I'm I'm a very conservative individual and uh and I show up like an hour or two hours early. If I have to do a gig or whatever, I show up early to prepare. Um I try not to be late. If I'm gonna be late, I I call and say I'm gonna be late. And unfortunately I was in the, you know, this is like a, a, a first for me that I didn't call you because I didn't have my phone on me and I was in the in the um barn. It you was know, puppy related, so that, puppy that's all related. you had to say. So, puppy related, um, you get a pass. But, um, and I did have you on my calendar, and I had another uh, show that I was supposed to do that actually got canceled uh, for today as well. But um, normally, I would, you know, call and say, "Hey, I'm going to be late. You know, this is this is the problem that I'm having." And uh, so he showed up like an hour and a half late, and I was angry. And I said, "You know, that's a total." lack of respect he didn't apologize you know or 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 even offer an excuse or anything he just showed up late knowing that i was there for whatever his little you know gig was why he didn't show up late and i said i'm so angry i could literally pick that truck up and throw it and smash it in the window and he said please don't yeah (laughs) and i said can i do that and he's like yes and i said huh and I do remember I did start a storm because I was very upset when I found out Don was my brother. And I thought that his family was actually, um, I thought they were uh, from a mob based family, which I'm sure that they, you know, I, I thought they were from Carlo Gambino's family. So I was very angry. And so I texted him and said, um, 
I'm pissed with like 5,000 S's and one T. And he said, why? <laughs> and he knew that was going to make me even angrier. And I said, because I found out all my family were psychopaths and liars and criminals. And you're one of them. And I was very, very angry. I was really angry. I can't even tell you how angry I was. And then when I started talking to George, who was my handler, we started reading out of the script from Supernatural. Don't do that. I'm just telling you, dude. The TV don't. show? Yes, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Okay. But don't even watch the show or just no, don't read the script? No, watch the show, but do not freaking read this from the script. It's just don't. So I started reading from it, and then... I'd been in uh, the Starbucks like all day writing and I'd been kind of praying for a tornado to hit Branson because I was angry at Branson too. I've forgiven Branson since then, but um, the lights went out in the Starbucks. The lights went out in the neighborhood. Um, it started thundering, it started lightning and the police came and the fire department came It shut down Capitol Boulevard. And they said, Penny, did you start this storm? And I said, I don't think so. And they said, we think you did because you've been praying for a tornado all day. And I said, I don't think I can do that. And they said, we think you did this. And I was like, really? I think I have to go now. And so I packed up the computer and I got in the car, but I was still very, very upset. And it started Lightning. I prefer lightning to thunder because thunder is just too loud. But it was. And so I got on the freeway and I was weeping. And I said, I wanted John to be drowned and revived and drowned and revived and drowned and revived and drowned and revived because I think that's what they did to me. They waterboarded me. And then um, I was just the, the more I cried, the more it rained. And then I put my hand in front of the window in the car, in the truck. And I said, I want all the cars to be off the highway. And I also said I wanted the planes to fall from the sky, but I didn't want them to hurt any good people, just the bad people. And then George called me and said, slow the car down. And he said, did you start this storm? And I'm like, why is everyone asking me that? I don't know. Can I do that? And he said, yes, you can. He said, I knew it was you because I saw the lightning and I fell to my knees. It flashed in front of my eyes, in front of the window, and I knew it was you. And I said, I can't stop the storm. If I started it, then I started it, but I can't stop it. And I was so angry. He said, slow down. And I said, I'm not going over the speed limit, George. And by the way, there's no cars on the freeway anymore. Where did they go? Did they just disappear? Did they just they all just, pull off? They just, they just, just they, people just decided, oh, I don't need to be on the freeway anymore. Hmm. Is that something that you th that you would ever have control over, or is it completely involuntary to to have that sort of effect on the environment? I think when you have that much anger, um, it can be destructive. Um, that was a very bad storm. And then when I got to George, um, I stopped the truck and I gave him my car keys, and it stopped raining. Is there an an alternate version of that where, like, if you're in a really good mood or elated, like, you get a nice summer breeze or, um, you know, well, like... Well, actually, <laughs> yes. Uh, when I was homeless and it was hot, I said, I wish it would rain. And it rained. Hmm. <laughs> and it cooled the area off. I was like, thank you, God. Do you think that's what you're channeling into is essentially, like, talking to God? 
Well, I think that um, he saved me a million times. I've talked to God since I was a little kid, since I was like three. And I, I think that he sees what's going on on this planet. And those that have good hearts um, are in a different, they're in a different frequency. So when individuals talk about being in the love frequency, I mean, you can't be in a love bubble all day. And especially when you're, you know, in the wake nation, we talk about some very horrific things, but it's, it's necessary. We have whistleblowers on there that have been attacked and raped. And, you know, I was as a child and uh, the healing, I believe comes from number one writing uh, and from being given a voice uh, the ability to actually, you know, speak out and, and help people in a tangible way. So I know that this is my, I know that awake nation is my, you know, is sent to me by God because my brother David was murdered and David Zublick is one year older than me. My brother David was two years older than me, but I believe that David was sent to me to carry out this mission. And David, you know, David knows that too. We, we become very, very close, like brother and sister. He makes me laugh like my brother David did. I mean, like, you know, like the milk coming out the nose kind of laugh. <laughs> and, you know, and we keep each other even, I think. He keeps me even. I keep him even. And, uh, you know, I love his wife, Linda. Um, I love the fact that he's given me faith again in marriage. Um, because, you know, I pretty much lost my faith after being with this individual for 25 years of my life and finding out uh, that I'd been deceived about everything this person was and about everyone in my life. That that's a pretty painful thing to find out everybody, you know, everybody was lying about who they were and, you know, they're, that's just really hard. And so we're having more and more people finding out that the government that they believed in, that they were patriots under, that they were lied to. Not the American government. Yes. The American government? The American government. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we have, uh, we we consider ourselves uh, an alternative news media. And so when we read the news from the Mockingbird media, we try to disseminate the truth from the lies. No one really knows what the truth is. It, you know, paranoidamerican.com. You can be paranoid, but you're not actually paranoid if it's really happening to you. Right, right. <laughs> That's you know what I believe. It's not, you're not actually paranoid if you're finding out that, you know, that these things existed. And so people that come to us are like, you're not going to believe this. I'm like, dude, trust me. I will. <laughs> you don't know who you're talking to. Yeah, I will believe. Take a look at my blog. You know, the, I will believe you. That's actually a, a perfect transition into a really quick little segment. It's It's meant to be fun. And it's just to get an idea of what you believe. So the the rules are really simple. It's basically just a zero to 10 rating. So a zero rating means it's all BS. And a okay. 10 means it's absolutely true. Like I'm convinced of it. Okay. Does that sound pretty good? Yeah. All right. I'm just going to rapid fire a few questions at you right after this little. Story. Hey, conspiracy buffs. I double dare you to take some PCP, the paranormal conspiracy probe. On your marks, get set, and go. All right. <laughs> flat Earth. Where are you at on the Earth being a flat plane from zero to ten? Um, I think it's actually uh, like kind of a dome, but it's like not completely flat. It's like close to flat. So five-ish? 
no, probably eight-ish. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, dinosaurs, the way that we're conventionally told about them, if you went into the Museum of Natural History and you point up at the T-Rex, how real is that concept of the T-Rex? Dinosaurs are, are real. They're alive today. So, you know, they've been at Skinwalker Ranch. Um, reptiles, uh, reptilians are from the dinosaur dynasty, I believe. Uh, they're still here. Okay, so 10. Yeah. What about dragons? Do you think dragons ever existed uh, at yes. any point in history? Like fl- yes. flying, fire-breathing dragons? Yes, 10. And uh, the mythos, everything that you thought was mytho is actually real. Um, okay, let's, <laughs> I love, I love this, this, uh, <laughs> this line of thinking here. Um, so normally I ask people like MK ultra project monarch. I almost feel like it's, it would be pointless <laughs> to ask you the zero to 10 on that. Yes, it never, it never ended. So, uh, let's zero to 10. Just just put it at a hundred. A hundred. What about, um, project monarch in particular, which was the one that Fritz, uh, Springmeyer wrote about. Yes, I, I think that under uh, under the sub-projects of MK Ultra, they said there were like 159, but, you know, they lie about everything. And uh, and I actually found a backdoor in a genie.com, which was a repository for uh, scientific information under the Mengele name. Really? What, so, what was yeah. did you find? Uh, I found just this people depositing uh, scientific information in different languages and stuff. And I was like, H. I don't even know where that backdoor was, but you know, I did find out that I was a cypher. Also, at one point, I and I actually utilized this later on for for somebody that transported drugs uh, to my sister's house. Um, I remember taking my coffee cup, my travel cup, and trying to unscrew the bottom. And then I was like, "What's that about?" Right. And then later on, I actually, when we were looking for these drugs at this person, I said, "Just unscrew the bottom of that." She's like, "What?" Let's get the bottom. There you <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's one out of left field a little bit. Did human beings land on the moon? Well, they might have, uh, but it was faked. The foot, you mean the TV footage was faked? Yes. So, um, you know, we, we already know that um, I got, I always forget his name. Who's 2001? Stanley Kubrick. Okay, Stanley Kubrick. The reason why I think I black out on his name is because an NSA followed an NSA guy followed us when we went to go see Angel Has Fallen, which I researched and I did a, a whole, uh, you know, cipher on that. And that a he movie? Was, yeah, and he was waiting outside, and it was about um, a man named Trumbull gets killed by a drone attack, right? And our president was Trump at the time. So this guy stops at our place and he looked like Stanley Kubrick. So I think he like blacked me out or something. And he was a pilot and he showed us that he, you know, he was a pilot. And I think he said he was NSA and, you know, just happened to know. I said, do you know me? And he's like, yes. And then he came into the theater and I said, he said he was going to do everything within his power to take out Trump. And I said, first of all, why are you telling me this? Like, I can't do anything about that. But secondly, you're telling me that you're going to take out a sitting president. I said, give me my card back. <laughs> and, and he's like, I go, I don't even know you. And he's like, and he sticks his hand out. I go, no, you don't understand. I don't want to know you. I want you to disappear just as easily as you appeared. You Stanley Kubrick freako, freakazoid looking dude from the NSA that said that you were a pilot. 
Um, and he showed us his pilot's license. I was like, oh, my God, that looks like Stanley Kubrick. Did Stanley Kubrick really die? Well, Stanley Kubrick was terrified of planes. He used to listen to air traffic controller. Um, this is so weird because he he had all this time. He could be doing movies and talking with, you know, huge hitters, but he would spend time listening to air traffic controllers and he would listen for, for close calls and he would write them down and he would tell people like, and this is why I don't fly on planes. Look at all these close calls that were today. <laughs> he so was this a, guy was a pilot, but I'm telling you, I looked at him and I was like, oh my God, that looks like Stanley Kubrick. And I, and I said, do you know me? And he's like, because he, he was talking to Susie and he was like saying all these things. And he was talking about all these places that she had just, we had just talked about with this guy that we, you know, was a drug dealer that we kicked out and he's talking about all these places. And then he gets to Alaska and I, I was just ignoring him. Right. But when he got to Alaska, I was just like, and I turned around and said, do you know me? And he says, yes. I mean, that's, that's like been, you know, like when I deciphered the cipher, when I was in Branson, I was sent to the Panera Bread, okay? Because I was actually at the Butterfly's house, the Butterfly House in Branson, outside, talking to Doc Holliday, swore to God, okay? He's a baseball player. And he sent me to the Panera Bread. So I go to the Panera Bread, and there's a guy in there. I had started telling this story before. There's a guy in there reading the paper, and, he, and um, I go outside to play with my stress ball because I'm stressed, because I feel something and I'm like, did I get set up being sent here? Cause I went there to use the Wi-Fi, and there's like no one in here. Every time you go someplace, there's nobody in there. There's just like three people in there drinking coffee. And so I come back in and the guy left. Remember the newspaper story? Yeah. Tom? That was upside down. Right. So then um, the guy leaves. So I walk over, I sit in the chair and I look around and I see the newspaper sitting over there, fold it. So I pick the newspaper up. I bring it back to the table. I open it up and there's a puzzle section. And so the first thing in my head was uh, the movie with Bruce Willis, Mercury Rising, with the savant kid who they put in the paper a puzzle to break a, to, that's our final test to break a DOD right. code, right? The kid's right. a savant and the kid calls the puzzle factory. So I know they do this like for real. Okay, it's not, it's not like a movie plot. They actually do this. So I look at it and I'm like, mm, I don't like puzzles. I'm not doing it. And then I look at it again and it says there's a puzzle here, but there's a cipher here. And I was like, so I said, all right, fine. I'm going to do the cipher. And I did the cipher and the cipher was about my brother, John. I said, there are two Johns. There's one in New York and there's one in Branson. So he was watching me. He knew I was in Branson. And he's also in the entertainment industry and Branson is an entertainment town. It was a very, it was a complex, uh, it wasn't that complex, but it took me about maybe 20 minutes to do it. And there was a, a riddle at the end of it. And the riddle said, I went to the doctor because um, I, I sprained my ankle. And the doctor said, I feel your sprain. And that's what Joseph Mengele would say, because he's a doctor, but he can't feel any empathy. But he can physically feel the sprain and the tissue, but he can't feel pain. And that was the riddle at the end. That and almost sounds like NLP, too. Cipher, cipher. That also sounds like NLP, where it's like, I can feel your sprain because 
the last three words of that are feel your sprain. And if you say that to someone, they also end up feeling it because you just commanded them, feel your sprain. Right. And, and uh, sprain, there's pain in there. Okay. So, you know, and when I get done with it, then when I talk to my uh, handler, George, I, he told me he worked in a top secret facility in Heidelberg during the Cold War for uh, a cipher for generals in the cipher department. And I was like, I thought I was talking to George, my drummer. And I was like, he said, did I tell you that? I'm like, no, George, I worked with you a long time. I, you know, you never told me you were in a top secret facility during the Cold War, George. Yeah, it just I, never you know, came up. <laughs> you never, never came up when we're gigging and stuff. And then I found out it was a different George. And so I said, that's that's weird because I just deciphered a cipher. I said, how did I do that? I'm a civilian. And he said, uh, well, I can't do that. I said, but you work for generals in the cipher department. He said, well, I just worked on, he worked in Heidelsburg. And he said, well, I just worked on the machines, but I can't decipher a cipher. I was like, really? That's weird. Likely story. Mm-hmm. So I've I've got one other question for you, and then we'll we'll start to wrap up a little bit here. Stranger Things, zero another zero to ten. We've we've torn open a hole in the fabric of space time, and an actual monster has come in. Demi Gorgon or Montauk Monster, whatever you want to call it, has that actually happened? Yes. Look at CERN. Are you at a ten on this? I'm a ten. And do you think it's it's CERN in particular, or do you think that CERN is assisting could it? In, could it CERN happen at Camp Hero? Um, it could have possibly because that's what they talked about. They said that they let um, a monster. And I watched an interview. It wasn't just with Preston Nichols because I I literally think Preston Nichols was a perpetrator. He was an electrician by trade. Hello. Um, and there was the other guy that was in. I can't remember his name uh, right offhand. Do you remember the? Guy that was working with Preston Nichols, they both. Uh, died. I don't. I know it's not Peter Moon. That was just the co-author on some of the books. I can't yes, remember he, the other. He goes wrote. Um, but there was another individual too, and that individual, I believe, was the one that said that he brought in the manifestation, which um, the manifestations can come in through portals, and you you can be a portal yourself. Like a human, human being can be a portal. Human beings are portals. That's why I've had people say these these beings are coming in through my closet. Like you know, the little kids are like, "Mom, there's a being in my closet," and you're like, "No, there isn't." Listen to the little kids. But I've had adults come to me and say, "It's followed me wherever I am." I said, "Because that's because you're the portal. Because we're frequency, so you're generating some kind of a frequency. So no matter where you go, there you are. You are the portal." Would that just be a matter of changing your outlook and changing your frequency? Or is that like, would that require yeah. professional help? Well, professional help, nobody's going to help you. So you better, <laughs> you know, the, if you go to professionals, these professionals deny that MK Ultra exists. Um, they deny that there is satanic ritual abuse going on. They deny that people are being held as uh, sex trafficking victims. Um, they, if you go in and you say any of these things to an MK ultra doctor, that's working on behalf of the elite and the, and the cabal, they will simply drug you 
and uh, and throw you in a crazy house and chain you to a bed until you comply and say, no, that never happened. I'm, I'm good now. Thanks for all the drugs that you're drugging me out with. You know, so yes, uh, these things are real. Uh, they're not, they're not fabrications. And I believe that it is a frequency thing. But then again, we also have interdimensional beings, which is living, lived in and amongst us since we resided on this earth. So some are, you know, and then there's also the alien faction. Um, can they get in through portals? Because they, we know that the demonic entities can inhabit a human being. So, you know, it's, it's a complex uh, question because I say there is no one answer. Okay. It, when people say, is it A, is it B, is it C, is it D? I say, it's E. It's all of the above. It's a little terrifying, to be honest, <laughs> that, that there's so much of these different topics out there and little interest, but that when you, when you dig, like MKUltra in particular, it's legit. It's real. They were really trying this. And even if people don't believe what the reports were, the people doing the experiments believed that that's what the intent was. Yes, so it was an it, occultist in, uh, endeavor, uh, a Nazi occultist endeavor that became, you know, came to fruition, came to light. However, if people don't believe in MK Ultra, let me just put it on a very peripheral basis. Okay, it has many meanings, like A, B, C, D, E, right? Um, MK Ultra is M for mind control with a K. It also means manufactured killers utilizing lethal tradecraft requiring assassinations. But in its broadest spectrum, it means mind control, which is uh, the currency of every single government. And you are being constantly mind controlled through music, through television, through the mockingbird media, through book publications, through a false history. He who controls the narrative controls the world. Very well said, Penny. Um, I would love to have you back on. I'd love to go on to your show and talk about this more. We're leaving a lot on the table. I mean, there was a yeah. lot of topics they came up that each could have gone into their own hour long uh, sort of tangent. And I would love to do some of those with you if you're ever open to it. Oh, um, most assuredly. This is, I'm, and I thank you for your patience because I did not call you. Um, and that's just not like me. I usually am right on top of everything. Uh, you're a pleasure. I, I could just tell from when we were talking, you're very genuine about this. So I was looking forward to this. No apologies needed. Thank you so much for coming on. And for one last time, just let people know where to find you what times your show is and the best way to get at you. Yeah. So if you, uh, we are a daytime show. So if you think if you're a whistleblower or if you're an investigative journalist, or if you are, uh, we're, we're looking all over the world. So we're looking for people in, you know, in Israel, in Italy, in Germany, in Russia, anybody that, uh, has something to say or disclosure, you can always text my phone. I'm the executive producer of the Awake Nation. Um, we are on Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. to 12 noon Eastern. And you can text my phone. It's 619-779-9771. And you must say who you are because I will not answer unless you're in my contacts. 
but feel free to text me with any information that you, you can even text me anonymously and say, look, I w- I'd like you to look into this, or this is a breaking story. Um, I also take texts while I'm on the air. Um, so, you know, feel free to text me. Don't worry about texting me at three in the morning because my phone's on silent and I will get back to you as soon as possible. So please go to the Awake Nation at awakenation.tv. We're also, we just started an after hours news uh, program on YouTube, which is at the Awake Nation. We're also on Rumble under the David Zublick channel. And I am on Twitter at my Twitter name, believe it or not, is Shepherd Out because apparently I think I was in and now I'm out. So at the end of our show, David Zublick says, well, we're out of time. So I'm out of here. Zublick out. And I say shepherd out because shepherd out is where you can find me on Twitter and you can DM me because my DM is open. And I thank you very much for the opportunity to be on paranoidamerican.com. And I reiterate, if it's actually happening to you, you're not actually paranoid. I agree wholeheartedly. And let's just, let's just do it for fun. Paranoid American out. Shepherd out. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc